Rich word, rich man. Rich word, rich man. Rich word, rich man. <laughs> You're gonna have to learn your cliches. You're gonna have to study them. You're gonna have to know them. Well, you know, you go out there and you give 110% and you wanna play good and you know, you hope you play good. I think we play pretty good tonight. Well, you know, there's no I in the word team, man. This is a team effort. 10 5 touchdown. Oh, man, you know, you just gotta play one game at a time and go out there and give 110%. All right! Play ball. Hello, Sporty Sports, and thank you for downloading and scoring at the movies episode number 55. This podcast dabbles in motion pictures with athletics in them, not the Oakland Athletics, and this podcast spoils those motion pictures. I'm the polite but intense man who runs a sporting goods store and just can't take that coaching job, but you know I'm going to take that coaching job. Ryan Ellis. And here's the troubled young sir whose deepest fear is not that he's inadequate. It's me taking away his status as a lord in the intros... Chris DiGregorio. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. I just want you to know that I've signed the contract and it's being correlated to your house right now. I agree to the stipulations that I have to maintain a 2.0 BPE, <laughs> beer per episode average. The dress code of a robe at all times is also acceptable <laughs> to me. Your Zoom robe. You specified that we talk about athletics, but not the Oakland Athletics, and that is patently untrue. We just did an episode strictly about the Oakland Athletics. Yeah, this time, not about Oakland. That's what I meant. Let's see if we can somehow work Billy Bean into a discussion about inner-city high school basketball. I mean, it is California. We're not too far away. We're not talking about Fabio. We didn't mention Fabio at all in that episode. (laughs) I love when he says that line, we're not selling jeans. We're not looking for Fabio. Who's Fabio? I think he plays for the, whatever, the Reds or something. That was a fun moment, too. Well, open up your beer. What do you got there? You said you have two per episode? I pre-opened it, Ryan. I was too excited. Okay, hold on. (laughs) (laughs) Foley work. This is going to be a bit of a tenuous connection for me, but I'm going to try to make the case anyway. This is a beer called Party Dad. Let's see if I can get that up on the (laughs) Zoom call. My terrible virtual background. Okay, you can't see it. Never mind. Anyway, it's called Party Dad, and my theory is my favorite scene in this movie, mostly because it's almost entirely gratuitous and unnecessary to the overarching plot, is the point in the movie when the team wins their tournament and they go celebrate after the fact, and Mm -hmm. Sam Jackson barges into the pool party with the girl's parents in tow and kicks his son out of the hot tub with the woman that is clearly at least 10 or 15 years too old for him. And in that moment, he is the epitome of the party-crashing dad. So I went with the party dad beer. I like it. It was a long <laughs> ride to get there, but I appreciate that. I can basically see the can at your face. He is using the background thing you have through Zoom with the Richmond, I guess, Oilers, right? That is the actual Richmond Oilers gym you're showing us, you're showing me. I hope you can see and I see party dad the here. party dad in his pink robe and slippers with beer in hand in all its glory. This is great yeah, audio. It's fantastic audio. <laughs> it's a much nicer gym than I would have expected from Googling Richmond High Gym. So maybe it's something else. But it does say Richmond on the paint line of the foul territory, so that's nice. Well, I am drinking CC and Diet, which is pretty much my usual thing. And this movie is Coach Carter, which was known as All Day Long. That was the working title. That was released by MTV Films and Paramount 15 years ago on January 14th, 2005. And it was a solid success. Didn't make a ton of money, but it doubled its budget. Did okay. What'd you think of it? I might as well ask you that right off the top. You had never seen it before. I've seen it now twice. Yeah, I liked it a lot, actually. I thought it was a pretty well-paced movie, by and large. The only, and I think this is a common complaint 
at least for me, when we talk about these movies, is that I often feel like they've crammed in stuff unnecessarily, either to add like a romantic plot that just does nothing for the story. Baby, 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 baby. Is that what you mean in this case? No, the only scene in this case that really bugged me was the party scene. Because why? It was just a bunch of kids going to party to celebrate a tournament, and then Sam Jackson gets mad at them because they snuck out of the hotel room. But there's two primary conflicts within this movie first you have sam jackson trying to win over the team get them onto his page from a coaching standpoint and then you've got the conflict of academics versus sport just generally whether it's the team the town the parents the school whatever those are the conflicts there's never any real conflict about teenagers behaving badly there's that arc with kenyan and aisha's character what's her name ashanti's character sorry yeah, so they've got their little baby conflict, but it's not much of one, and it kind of resolves itself. It's played well, but it does seem a little gratuitous. Maybe it's just to get Ashanti in the movie, and she's pretty solid in the movie, I think, She's actually, fine with what but she's But it doesn't seem necessary. Yeah, you're right, it doesn't. It just adds another little element, I guess, but it didn't feel as gratuitous for whatever reason to me than that one party scene. Maybe, you know what it was? It was Worm. When he's eyeballing the two girls who are like, oh, we're going to go in the pool. I don't have a bathing suit. Well, neither do we. And they start stripping down and he is just leering at them. And the camera lingers really close on these two young women as they strip off their clothes, still wearing underwear or whatever. But so this scene solely exists probably because some executive was like, well, we got to get a little skin in this movie because we got to sexy it up a little bit. And then he has that really uncomfortable dialogue with the girl's father when he comes home. I knew you were behind this. Well, actually, what was the line? You were under all this or on top of this or behind all this. And his line was, well, actually she was on top or I was under her or something like that. This kid's supposed to be like 16 here. No kid in their right mind's going to smack talk the dad of the girl who he just slept with while he's wrapped in the master bedroom bed sheet. Give me a break. You said that the coach, well, Carter, was so upset about them being there. I think the underage drinking is the biggest reason why. Yeah. And maybe the subtext is, I'm going to keep you away from doing what Kenyon and Kira ended up doing, which is having a baby long before you're ready for one. She has an abortion before the movie's over, and it seems like she just shrugs it off, but then she's probably just playing it tough. That's why I think that maybe could have been cut out of the whole movie, but they probably wanted to get, A, a woman in this movie, and B, a pop star, who's a solid actress. She's not outstanding, but she's fine. Yeah. I thought that could have been cut out. The party scene, I think, is there more so to show, well, also, you know what it is? Conflict. To have conflict in the movie, you have to have conflicts, right? This movie's pretty long. It's about two hours yeah. and 15 minutes. That leads me to the nutshell. I'll do it right now. In a nutshell, Coach Carter... Timo quits, Timo has FOMO. Timo quits, Timo has FOMO. Timo quits, Timo has FOMO. Also, Junior quits, and Coach Carter threatens to quit. Quit, 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 quit. A lot of quitting in this movie. I do love Timo in this movie. Timo's a lot of fun. I'm out of here. Okay, what do I got to do to get back to Is it three times he quits? It's definitely two. It's in the early, well, when they meet the coach. Like in Hoosiers, they meet the coach. There's a conflict. In Hoosiers, you two get out of here. And eventually they both come back. We know the one guy does come back, and it seems like the other one just magically reappears later on in the movie. I think he's back too. In this film, it's the same kind of thing where Timo leaves, and I think two other guys never do come back because they don't like the contract. They don't like all these rules. This movie has a lot in common with Hoosiers, actually, including the ending being the opposite. The underdog team loses, but gets an awful lot of respect. When, of course, in Hoosiers, they beat the team that was much better yeah. than them. There are a few guys right off the hop that just quit. Those were our two leading scorers from last year. His response was, well, now you have a chance. Yeah, I think Timo quit twice as well. But you're right when you say there's conflict. By his very nature in this movie, Samuel L. Jackson's character just breeds conflict because he's got a very confrontational attitude towards the system that exists. Without swearing once. 
I had the hardest time watching a movie with Samuel L. Jackson in it where he wasn't just <laughs> dropping F-bombs left and right. Full credit to the character. It's a valid argument and one that I wholeheartedly believe. But when the players on the team are throwing around a certain word amongst themselves and Sam Jackson's character stops them and says, you guys think that's cool? That word was used to degrade our ancestors. Okay, valid point. Problem is... You, as an actor, are famously known for dropping that word <laughs> and making it kind of cool. So I'm like, it kind of undercut the message for me. Even though I agreed with the message of the movie, the fact that it was Sam Jackson saying it feels weird. A little hypocritical. Yeah. Him not swearing also does play into, I guess, the Star Wars movies. He didn't get to swear in the prequels. I think he swears in Deep Blue Sea even, the shark movie. I don't know if that movie was R-rated. This one's PG-13. And he does say the N-word. And by the way, the substitute you can use, Bev and I used this on something. I forget what it was we used it as. Oh, it must have been a Tarantino movie we covered. Amigo. Amigo? Okay. Shit, Amigo. That's all you had to say. That's true. He never does drop the F-bombs in the prequels either. I'm sick of these mother effing Sith on this mother effing Coruscant. <laughs> I think it's blasted out the window. It's Monday to Friday play. <laughs> it's Monday to Friday. <laughs> I think Sam's quite good in this movie, though, in the lead role of Ken Carter, a real guy who really did go to Richmond 30 years before the movie set, which I guess is 1999. And Richmond is a real place. It's north of Oakland. I don't remember this when I saw the movie before. I guess I didn't look it up. I had to for the podcast here. They mostly shot the movie in and around L.A. as well. But Richmond is in that area, and that's poor. Oakland itself is pretty poor. I guess it's primarily black, so they don't get a whole lot of help from the area. So it's impressive that they competed at all. And this team was four and 22 the year before. That was the cool part of it, especially knowing that this was evidently a pretty real story. You see all kinds of movies that are like the quote unquote based on real events or something. And then they're just highly fictionalized from what I understand of this movie is that it's largely true to life. The players themselves, I think are amalgams of other personalities put together. So they might not be truly accurate, but the events broadly speaking are like that turnaround. There was a Ken Carter as well, and the real guy was on set, apparently through the movie, and his first and, I guess, only choice to play him in the movie was Samuel L. Jackson. So he got what he wanted. But it can't have been 99, right? Because the early scene is that Ty Crane is going to be the next LeBron James. Ah, LeBron right. James was drafted, what, in 04, I think? Was he part of the 04 draft? I guess you're right. Unless maybe they just didn't think. Well, yeah, the movie is... 2005. So if LeBron James was the year before, then yeah, okay, you're right. Not 99 then. All right. Well, forget that. <laughs> it's modern-ish. This was your suggestion to watch, and I think it was a good one. Free on Netflix. Why not? <laughs> Valid. Given all of the racial tension that we've seen recently, it seemed apropos, right? Because like I said, the primary overarching conflict between everybody in this movie and Coach Carter, basically, is the fact that he sees an issue with how people view young, marginalized members of minorities in America and their potential. Coach Carter, why are you leaning on academics? Why are you forcing them to try to maintain more than a 2.0 GPA, which is what the state requires? And his rationale is, of course, if you've got 2.3, your SAT requirements drop down precipitously, you might actually get into college. And their point is, well, one student the whole bloody school is probably going to college. And like you said, the vast majority of students there are visible minorities. Only a very few that we ever saw in this movie were white, including Channing Tatum. But his point was, I think the big problem in society is the fact that you have all accepted that these young men are going to peak at 16, 17, 18 years old playing high school basketball. And then thereafter, accept that the rest of their lives are going to be toiling in mediocrity. Why do we have to accept that? Why can't we work to change that trend? 
Unfortunately, it's a message that too often falls on deaf ears. What are we seeing in 2020, right? I didn't entirely pick this movie for that reason. It's because it was free on Netflix and because we haven't covered basketball in a while. I'm trying to make you look sensitive and woke here, Ryan. Come on. (laughs) Well, I'm going to answer that in a second. I don't think we've ever covered Samuel L. Jackson before. It's also a black director, Thomas Carter, no relation to Ken Carter, the real guy. So all those reasons are good reasons to do the movie. And I was thinking about that, but it was partly because it was just available. And I thought we should cover the movie at some point, 15 years old. That's always going to play into my thinking. Movies might get talked about if they're 15 years old or 25 years old or 40 years old or what have you. But yes, it isn't really a racial movie exactly, but it's always something underlying everything because very few people on this team, and as you said in the school, are not some kind of visible minority. The black kids, obviously, especially. But then Timo seems to be Hispanic, I guess, right? So yeah, we are covering this movie, at least in part, for that reason. Well, then again, when I chose 13th for Bev and I to do last month, I just thought we should do a black director, a woman director. We hadn't done either one of those in a little while. And then everything blew up with the George Floyd murder and 13th became very relevant. So I got a little lucky with that choice. It was just me thinking we should try to cover these kinds of movies. It's a really good documentary too. And this one in a way was falling into it luckily as well because things as we record this are not that much better. They're getting a little bit better, but there's still protests on the street. Again, this movie's not about really those issues. But then I nutshelled the movie as Timo quits, and that was supposed to be just a joke, of course. But the real nutshell of this movie would probably be Coach Locks Jim until championship-caliber team gets their grades up. He would sooner see them never play again if they weren't going to obey by their contract to keep a C-plus average. And until they do that, he's not going to let them play. They have to either fire him or he's going to get his way. I really enjoyed that message, too. We spend a lot of time glorifying athletics and its importance. I think post-secondary education, like the university and college system, that is an institution that is going to become more and more in need of revisiting itself as well, because we're seeing real problematic shifts in availability of certain skill sets in our society as time wears on, because everyone thinks they need a bachelor degree in some not terribly useful skill. I'm certainly guilty of that myself. You look at all these self-made folks, particularly in the tech world, that have no formal education, but they're just super intelligent. They decide to do it on their own. So I'm not going to be the first person to step up and advocate for the necessity of university educations, particularly as opposed to learning a trade and things like that. What I really did enjoy, though, was that message that you should have something more to look forward to than just this year on this court. How often do we see movies, particularly sports movies for that matter, where it is so laser-focused on what's going to happen on the court or on the field. Hoosiers doesn't talk about the schooling really at all. We see Gene Hackman being a teacher in one scene, I guess, basically, but otherwise it's just about basketball and issues with the town, but it's not at all about their schooling like this movie is. And they're both in high school around the same age. Those kids might be a little younger than these kids. You know which movie immediately came to mind for me as point of comparison? It's a different sport, but Friday Night Lights... Also high school athletics, also a bunch of parents that think this is the highlight of their kids' lives. Unlike this movie, Billy Bob Thornton and Friday Night Lights just wants those kids to revel in the moment. I get that to a certain extent. There's a value in that. And we're talking different demographics, too. Even though these are still poor and somewhat disadvantaged people in the southern U.S., we're not talking about exclusively minorities here. That was like a largely white population in that movie. So there's a different set of circumstances potentially there. But it's a refreshing take on this whole genre of movie to say, we want to win on the court, but you know what? A high school basketball game ain't the end of the world. And when you see parents and the community rioting outside of a gym because Richmond can't play Fremont in the biggest high school game of the year, what does it matter? (laughs) 
Sam Jackson's character had it exactly right. Channing Tatum, I don't remember what Channing Tatum's character's name was. Jason Lyle. That's right. We saw his father at the PTA meeting stand up at one point, or his uncle or something. But he says, what do you hope to get out of this year? Well, we want to win the state championship. Do you know who won the state championship last year? I have no idea who won the state championship last year, but wouldn't it be great if we won it this year? It shows how little (laughs) it ultimately means to win that championship. Even if in the moment it's fun, the community kind of rallies behind you. In the long run, it doesn't mean that much. It's a sport movie, but it speaks against sport a little bit in that way, against us over-aggrandizing it. The middle of the movie doesn't have that much basketball in it because there's the party scene after they win that tournament. And, of course, his son, who quits a more prestigious school to go to play for his father with these guys hits the winning shot in that tournament. But after that, we don't see that much basketball because they're partying, and then he's mad at them, and he's locking them out of the gym. There's a scene in the gym towards the end where they are basically on strike because the school has said, the school board at least, the coach is not going to have this gym locked anymore. By the way, he can't lock the gym for everybody else who has to play in there. It's not just the basketball team, the men's or boys' basketball team. Girls do stuff in there. Other sports happen in there. Volleyball probably is in there and other things. So come on. But anyway, so they overrule him. Then they're all sitting in their desks in the gym, which they probably would have done because that's a little bit cinematic. But they're all to a man saying, we're going to stand by what we said we would do, which is obey the terms of this contract and do better in school. And they do it as a team. So it's a cinematic moment. It might not be real. Although maybe it is. I didn't read that it wasn't real. It just doesn't feel like it was. But I did like that moment. And there's a really touching thing, too, when Timo stands up and finally admits his greatest fear, which is inadequacy. It's a quote from A Return to Love. Obviously, Timo did the work to find out what that actually means. What's your greatest fear? He found out what his greatest fear is. And yeah, inadequacy is a great fear for anybody because we all want to be good at something, whatever we do in life. And it may not be that you're that afraid of anything that's dangerous or serious. It's more about, am I good enough as a husband or a father or a friend or a worker or whatever else? I don't dwell on that. You probably don't dwell on that. But if somebody were to ask me, what is your greatest fear? I could see those things being as big a fear as anything else. That and cobras. (laughs) That and clowns. But isn't the whole point of that not that we fear inadequacy? That was kind of the implication through most of the movie. But the actual speech is... Not that I fear being inadequate, but that I use my own power to belittle those around me to make myself feel bigger, and in so doing, belittle myself. I think the implication being exactly what Coach Carter was getting at all along. It's not that these boys are inadequate, but rather that we project onto them these lowered expectations that belittles them and turns them into these kinds of self-realizing prophecies on the court. Which in some ways is what racism is. Yeah, in a lot of ways. Gloria Road, which we probably should cover next year when it's 15 years old because it came out in 2006. That movie is very much about race. And I think in a lot of ways you could say what you just said is what racism is in a nutshell. Yeah, way more faceted than I could ever hope to figure out. But I think you're right. I think that's a big part of it. Those kinds of inherent expectations or beliefs about people that are not us. I will quote, believe it or not, a George W. Bush speech. The soft bigotry of low expectations. Hmm. Which I'm sure he didn't write, but he did say it. Yeah, and I think that probably nutshells better than anything I could say, certainly through Timo, what the movie was trying to say, and through Coach Carter's actions and defense against the school. That symbolic locking of the gym is just what it would have been. It would have been like a symbolic lock probably on the door and not an actual locking of the door. And when he sees the chain laying on the ground later on, there's no doubt that's supposed to be some kind of play into chains from slavery. Oh, you think so? I didn't make that connection. I think the way it's laying there, yeah. It reminded me a lot of the chains in Get on the Bus... 
Some reason changed that movie for some reason. I forget why. It's not slavery. But at the very end, the change is just laying on the ground. I think it's the last shot in the whole film. And I think maybe that could be an homage. It felt like an homage to me. It would have been interesting if when the door was still locked up and chained, you just had a shot. There was the press conference in front of the gym just before that big Fremont game and stuff where Coach Carter's defending himself to more media than I've ever seen at any, certainly Oakland A's sporting press conference. But <laughs> And you just saw off to the side a bunch of volleyball players holding the ball, just looking dejected. Oh, all right. <laughs> what did we do? I guess we'll leave then. My grades are great. You could see it coming a mile away by that point, but I enjoyed the moment when he walked into the gym and the kids were all sitting with their teachers at the desks laid out in the gym doing their studying in defiance of effectively the school board telling them we're undoing the lockout, go back and play, boys. But they had to go in the gym through that same door, presumably a couple of times to bring in all the desk chairs and stuff. Dozen desks, yeah. It's about 11 guys sitting there, I think. I counted. It seemed like it was 11. How many times did these guys walk past the shattered remnants of the lock and the chain on the ground and just be like, yeah, we'll leave it there. (laughs) I'm sure Coach Carter won't be traumatized or emotionally scarred by that. It's cool. (laughs) It'll just make it all the sweeter when he walks in the gym and he sees us being good little boys. Yes. Actually, one really nice moment by Jackson, the way he plays it off is when Timo says, you saved my life, sir. That's a great moment, too, because when his cousin's killed, Timo's cousin, that is, he goes to Carter and he cries in his arms. And that's when the coach knows sometimes you got to just let a kid be a kid. He messed up. This is after he'd quit at least the second time. And he hugs him rather than, well, why would he push him away? That'd be a real dick thing to do. But regardless of how he feels about Timo, even if he was never going to let him play again, the kid needs to be helped. He doesn't need to be hurt and pushed away even further. And by the way, one of my favorite moments in this whole film, I've YouTubed it plenty of times, is when all the players volunteered to do Timo suicides and push-ups. I thought that was towards the end, but it's really probably about a third of the way through the film. And Jason Lyle, who is Channing Tatum, earlier he'd been conflicting in the locker room before Carter's the coach. And then he's the first one to pipe up and say, when one guy fails, we all fail. So I'll do some of his push-ups. And then other guys say, I'll do push-ups, I'll do suicides. And I don't know if that's exactly what Ken's point was, if the coach figured they'd all do that. But in the end, you realize, no, okay, they're getting it. Yeah. He's impressed with Timo's commitment to try to do enough, but he failed. And maybe that's really more of a test for them, or at least as much as it is for Timo. It's one of my favorite moments in any sports movie. I really love it a lot. I don't think this movie has a lot of great moments exactly. There's no really great games. The tournament winning game, when his son hits the winning shot, is pretty cool. I watched that again on YouTube just this afternoon. And there's no halftime speech. I couldn't believe that. I wrote that down in my notes. No halftime speech, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. How could this be? But I think the best moment in the whole film is that, when Timo's failed, but it's the white guy he had conflict with earlier who pipes up and says, I'll help him. I will too. Me too, sir. Big line in this movie, of course, is sir. And then that's when they're going to start bonding. And they don't need the coach to tell them to do that. They finally got it. Or maybe he didn't expect any of them to actually do that, but he's happy they did. I think you're right. I think that's one of the best, if not the best scene in the movie as well. And it's one I didn't see coming, to be honest with you. I kind of expected that it would be one of those things where, oh, you know what? He had to do 2,500 push-ups and 1,000 suicides, was it? It's like, oh, he came up 100 push-ups short or 500 push-ups short, but he still did 2,000 in the last week, which is obscene. And you kind of expect that the moment will be, son, you did your best, and that's what I was trying to tell you. You gave it your all, and even if you didn't quite get there, you gave it your best. But instead, Sam Jackson's response was, well, you came up short. See ya! Get out of my gym! And then he starts walking (laughs) off, and then, of course, like you said, Channing Tatum and the rest of the team pipe up. But I think what sold it for me as a scene is it wouldn't have played so well 
if after that had begun, the whole standing up one by one, I'm going to do some, I'm going to do some by the teammates. If it had closed in on Sam Jackson and he had a satisfied look on his face or something like, yes, it's all coming together as I thought it would. I don't think the scene would have worked as well. Instead, you kind of see his face and he's not confused, but he's like, all right, maybe this isn't what I intended, but we're getting to the same place ultimately. So that reaction by him, as much as anything else, I think made that scene, it played realistically. Yeah, he's an actor who doesn't really overdo things generally in any performance, I wouldn't say. In a way, maybe the Tarantino movies, he overdoes it, but in a great way. He's got such great dialogue. That's part of the reason why it always works so well when he plays with Tarantino. But in this movie and a lot of other films he's done, yeah, he doesn't overdo the moment, which a lot of people would. He doesn't start crying. The video I was watching when Timo says, you saved my life, sir, was a little wonky. So maybe that was what it was. But it looked to me like maybe he had to choke back something. But that may have just been the video. It may have just been that Sam was playing as if to say, the coach isn't going to let this emotion show. So I'm not going to let this emotion show. This is up to you, the audience, to figure this out. So maybe it's just a bad video on my end. But if he had started crying or if he had started smiling in the scene where they all do the push-ups, you're right. It would still be good, but it wouldn't be as good. And it's the understated nature. But it fits with the character that he's portraying, too. I think you're right about Sam Jackson's acting style, typically. But the character of Ken Carter is one that is just a hardcore believer in discipline, in following through, in obeying the rules, and all this kind of stuff. But he's not an overly expressive guy. He's not an emotional guy. He doesn't ever compromise on his ideals or beliefs. And the only time he ever does is that moment with Timo. On his face, it looks like, okay, I'm feeling something, but he doesn't play it overly emotionally. But it is a key moment in the movie because it shows, okay, this guy isn't just a robotic monster that cares nothing for these boys. Because in the absence of that scene, you could totally believe it. His own son is two minutes late for the first practice that he's a part of the team for. And he makes (laughs) him run sprints in the backside of the gym while the rest of the team practices. And on his first day, he doesn't know where the gym is. He has to find it. He's two minutes late and he still has to run the suicides. The understated methodology of that character is why those scenes work. I think critics agree with you on this, by the way, because they're a fresh tomato. 64% of them like the film. Six out of 10 is an average. And 85% of audiences. So it's obviously an audience picture. It was 36 that year at the 2005 U.S. box office, Revenge of the Sith, Star Wars Episode Three. wasn't one. The Longest Yard, the remake, which... <laughs> The Longest Yard, the remake, we did the original last year, was number 12. And Cinderella Man, which we could cover, I suppose, at some point, boxing movies, Russell Crowe, was number 42. So that means that Coach Carter outdid Cinderella Man, despite all the prestige of a Ron Howard, Russell Crowe film. Prestige aside, this movie actually had more, if not super famous actors and actresses in it, at least accomplished character actors and actresses. And I'm terrible with names, so I'm going to butcher this. But two of the mothers of the players in this movie... Octavia Spencer. And the other one is the actress that plays Rebecca De Mornay in Seinfeld at various points. And I can't ever remember her name, but she pops up quite a bit. Of course, young Channing Tatum is in it. The actor that plays Timo Cruz is a pretty accomplished actor in his own right. Rick Gonzalez is his name. He was in The Rookie a couple years before this, meaning the Dennis Quaid baseball movie based on a real story also, where some guy... Got into the major leagues when he was in his, what, 40s or something like that? He shouldn't have been playing anymore. He was in the War of the Worlds the same year as this, too. Or not the War of the Worlds, just War of the Worlds, also in 2005. And you said Channing Tatum. This was his debut. We know him as being a dancer in Step Up. I've never seen the Step Up films, but I've heard he's pretty impressive as a dancer. A wrestler in Foxcatcher, which I guess we could cover at some point. And he's just really proven over the years. It's been 15 years now 
that he's funny and charming. Mm-hmm. He does have some acting talent. He's a pretty likable guy. He seems like he'd be a meathead from some of the roles he played early on, including this one. Not so much a meathead, actually. There's some depth in there. I like how he's accepted, even though he's the white kid. He was already accepted before the story even is set. He was already in with the black guys. He hangs out with them, but he's not trying to be like them. He doesn't talk like them exactly, I wouldn't say. It's just like when Worm, and by the way, Worm is also a character in Rounders. I couldn't hear the name Worm uttered without just picturing Ed Norton. I just thought of that when we started recording this, that Worm is Worm. We've had multiple Worms in our You know how much I love that movie. But he doesn't like Damien early on. He's a freshman. He shouldn't be playing, but then he proves how good he is, so they become fast friends early. That one settled pretty fast. That could have been a major thrust in the whole movie, but his dislike for him is settled in one game. Oh, he can play? That's good enough for me. And that's one of the reasons why Jason Lyle's accepted, too, because he's not the only white guy on the team, but he's the only white guy within a real dialogue. And I think it's because... They like him. He's not trying to be something he's not. And he can play. Let's face it. That always helps everything. If you can do the job well, whether it be a basketball player in high school, a stand-up comic, a steel worker, if you fit in with everybody else and you do the job well, you should be. That's not always true, is it? Yeah, that's true. We're really learning that with what's going Mm -hmm. on in the world always, but especially lately. But a lot of people who are more accepting will say, maybe I wouldn't have accepted you, but you can play, so you're in. It does help. There's no question. One or two stupid comments on the Lyle front one I just wanted to smack the bloody hat off his head the entire movie put it on or take (laughs) it off don't have it tipped at some half-assed angle just barely perched on your head it drove me crazy you live in California you don't need a toque take it off (laughs) Oakland and San Francisco that area can be pretty cold okay fair enough they were all wearing super heavy jackets and about eight layers of sweaters throughout the entire movie so maybe they were cold they say it gets cold in San Francisco and this is across the bay from San Francisco I give nobody in California any sympathy of course because when it's bloody (laughs) minus 40 up here in January they aren't crying us any tears so Jason Lyle or Channing Tatum's character he's the only white guy on the team with any dialogue but there was one guy that was on the end of the bench in every team shot Every scene looked quiet and morose and sweaty and didn't have a single line of dialogue in the movie, but he was just constantly in it. Who is this poor actor that got cast for this role and the director's just like, all right, say nothing. You suck, but just sit there and look slightly upset. Thomas Carter gave him a note and said, be sad. (laughs) The next day, be sad again. Day after that, you know what, kid? Note continue being sad. Or maybe he was just too good. They filmed one scene. He's like, okay, you guys just lost. Look sad. We can't have you do anything else now. You just have to, like, constantly look sad. I've been typecast. (laughs) I couldn't take my eyes off him the whole time. Every scene that the team as a group was in a shot, I was looking for that one guy. There he is. When's he going to have a line? The answer, never. Never does. Well, these young guys are actually quite good actors. I guess they were actors first. I don't really think that any of them were basketball players first and then actors second. Nana, I don't even say this name. So it's G-B-E Wanyo. I don't want to butcher his name, but anyway, that's how you spell it. G-B-E Wanyo. This was his debut, too. He was only ever in two other movies, including Gran Torino for Eastwood a couple years after this. And he's barely younger than Octavia Spencer, who plays his mother. Octavia Spencer only has, what, maybe two scenes? She's quite good. You mentioned her already. Won an Oscar for The Help not that long after this, maybe six years later. And, of course, she's in a lot of other big-time movies. She's a pretty well-known actress now, but does a damn good job as his mother. And Rob Brown. Have we even talked about Kenya really at all? Rob Brown has only been in nine movies. I was wondering why he hasn't been in a movie in something like five years, but he does a ton of TV now. But he played basketball in this, basketball in Finding Forrester five years before this, and then football in The Express, which was, I think, this past decade. Does well in the sports movies. He's a good actor. I wish we'd see more of this guy. Rob Brown is really good. 
he steals the movie in Finding Forrester up against, well, he's in the movie more than Sean Connery is, but he's damn good in that film too. Yeah, Kenyon was, I thought, good in this movie, or Rob Brown as Kenyon. I guess I'm thinking more about the other movies then that he is great in. In this, he's very soft. Yeah, I just don't think he had a ton to do. Like you were talking about earlier, the most conflict his particular character has in this movie is with his girlfriend. Baby, 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 baby. And there's not a lot to that after the first scene or two with the two of them, so it doesn't give him a ton to work with. I really did like that. I'm not going to try to butcher his name either, but the guy that played Junior Battle. Yeah, Nana. Nana. I really enjoyed his character's performance. I had to look up some of these guys because I was curious. I really thought they did a good job of portraying much of the basketball in this movie. And I wanted to see what their backgrounds were. His was interesting because he actually played basketball through university. So even if he wasn't a pro, he was experienced enough with the game that he would look darn good playing it. That's why I didn't make other movies then, because he's actually a basketball player first. I didn't read that. The only other guy that I came across on Brief Inspection that actually had background in basketball was the guy that played Ty Crane. I guess he was a fairly well-known street baller named Livewire or something like that. I'd never heard of him before. His name is Sidney Faison. He only ever made this movie in something called Who Killed Soul Glow? And one episode of CSI, that's it. He was better known as like a street ball player, and I think he had a brand associated with his live wire persona. By and large, I thought they all did a good job. Channing Tatum apparently never played basketball until being cast in this movie right. and then had to... Now, admittedly, I don't think we see a ton of his character actually playing basketball. We see a lot of Damien... What's the guy's name? Richard? It's Robert Richard, but they have an apostrophe between the I and the C of Richard. So Richard, I guess? He was in House of Wax the same year as this, the great movie where, well, that's not great, but the great moment where Paris Hilton takes a pipe to the forehead. (laughs) Ah, cinematic gold, baby. (laughs) He's a pretty good actor as Ken's son in this, and he seems like he could really play, so I'm surprised he hasn't done more high-profile stuff. He's done other things, more than Nana G. (laughs) Jr. has done in his film career, but none of these guys really took off that much, and I think he was quite good at this I thought he was very good. I think he's another guy that's done a ton of television guest spots all over the place. We get a ton of him playing ball. We get a ton of the guy that played Worm playing ball. And we get a ton of Junior. And then the other guys on the team, we get little bits and pieces here and there, but not a ton of any of them. What killed me is what bothers me with a lot of sports movies that focus on high school players is the fact that all of these guys are in actuality between 25 and 30 years old. They can dress them like kids. You can give them the affectations of the high school students. But at the end of the day, they don't look like kids. They're so big. They're so built, all of them, especially Damien. Keep in mind, Damien's meant to be a freshman. So what's that, a 14-year-old? I guess you're right about that, because this is high school, not college. He's not a tall man, so height-wise, that's fine, but he's jacked. They all are. Channing Tatum in this movie is probably the least jacked guy on the team, which was crazy to me. That's not true anymore, but it was maybe at the time. Robert Richard, we're saying his name is, was born in 83, so he was 22 two when the movie came out yeah definitely older than he should have been you're right about that well these guys learned apparently how to execute about 70 plays a lot of passes and picks and fast moving and of course if you cut this kind of stuff right sports movies never get recognized or rarely get recognized for oscars for even nominations rocky and raging bull being two exceptions to that i guess but most sports movies don't get recognized and the fast moving ones miracle how does that not get nominated for its editing friday night lights probably too that same year and even this If they weren't as good as they seem like in this movie, then editing is obviously the key here. But they also practice for hours every day to get this good. And as you said, one of the main players in this and the guy who's become the biggest star of all these people, right up there with Sam Jackson, Mm -hmm. Channing Tatum, had never even played at all. And you wouldn't know it. 
Yeah. And what did we say when we did White Men Can't Jump, right? Because we found out that Wesley Snipes could not play basketball. <laughs> but you wouldn't guess it based on the editing of that movie. They just cut it in such a way that actually looks like he knows what he's doing. When in reality, Woody Harrelson would have run him ragged on the court. I'm just going to quickly meet my contractual obligation to you here, Ryan, with the... There we go. Beer number two. What beer is this? This is whatever I had in the fridge. A Mexican <laughs> lager of some kind from Amsterdam. Well, the director of the film I mentioned already, Thomas Carter, did Metro with Eddie Murphy way back when and then Save the Last Dance a couple years before this. I think he did a pretty good job. This might be his best movie ever. I'd say it's better than those other two. The writers, Mark Schwann, the last movie he ever wrote, and John Gaddens, who wrote Summer Catch and Hardball. And I bring that up because, A, we should cover that movie at least by next year when it'll be 20 years old. Keanu Reeves may not be great in that movie, but I love that film. Always makes me cry. And the producers of this, Mike Tallman and Brian Robbins, produced Ready to Rumble, which we covered, I guess that was last year, and Hardball. So they've done some cheeseball fare, but they're involved in this one. And of all those movies, I prefer Hardball to this, but this is a better movie than Hardball. For one thing, it doesn't have a meh performance in the lead role, because Keanu is meh in that movie. But Sam Jackson is Sam Jackson this. He's rock solid. Oscar-worthy? No. But damn good, as he almost always was. So those names behind the scenes aren't exactly huge people, but kudos to all of them for making this movie work well, including the editing team as well. They did a hell of a job. I'm surprised to hear you say that you like Hardball more than this movie, which, incidentally, is probably a movie I haven't seen since it was first released, so I've got 20 years of foggy memories of it. Liking it doesn't mean it's better. Okay. <laughs> I didn't say that. That's fair. G-Baby! We'll do it at some point. We'll talk plenty about G-Baby when Hardball comes up in this podcast, at least by next year, if not sooner. We've done a series, it seems like, recently of movies that are fairly serious in tone. Generally good movies, I think, fairly recently. But I think we're due for a slew of cheeseball movies at some point. We have one in a few weeks. We'll talk about that when we get closer. We won't tell them anyone what it is until we get closer <gasps> to suspense. it. The suspense. We will. Rocky 2. <laughs> We're going to do Rocky 2 before too much longer. Not next episode, but the one that. will that. be a knockdown, drag-out brawl of a podcast. I'm not even sure that movie's cheeseball, though, to come to think of it. I think it's a pretty good sequel. But yeah, we'll do some more cheesy fare as we go along. Okay, back to Coach Carter. One thing about Timo, his past is bad. His present is pretty bad because he goes back to being with his badass cousin who gets killed. But it reminds me of the line in Vanilla Sky... I don't know if Cameron Crowe invented that for that movie, but there's a line in that I thought of during this one, which is every passing minute is another chance to turn it all around. And Timo has that more than once. Yeah, he quits and goes back and quits and goes back. But he finally does have the light bulb go on. And I think he realizes that, that I have a chance to turn this all around. It's not fully over. I'm still a kid. I made mistakes. I've done the wrong thing, but I can still go back to this team. This guy will accept me if I apologize and make amends. And in the end, he goes to college too. This movie is about kids going to college, and it's not like Timo was excluded from that, even though it looked like he wasn't going anywhere other than to a life of crime and some hard-ass stuff with his cousin. Yeah, that's exactly right. If it's at all close to what actually happened in Ken Carter's tenure with Richmond, it's not so much specifically college. It's more that kind of message that you just talked about, and it's that your life is not over and you're not predestined to be what everyone says you are going to be believe in yourself and aspire for more essentially and in this movie that is what college is symbolic of i'm not just going to accept that i'm going to play basketball not graduate end up in some sort of dead-end job and maybe just end up in jail like what does he say one in three of your classmates here are going to find themselves doing i already said junior is one of my favorite characters but timo is the most affecting character in the movie i think 
Yes. Even though Damien, like you said earlier, Robert Richard or whatever, he has a good performance in the movie, and I like Damien's character, and I like the way it's portrayed, even if I thought it was disgusting that he was getting ripped on spiked Mountain Dew. Who goes and slugs enough Mountain Dew to get that <laughs> drunk, even your first time? His performance is good, <laughs> but his daddy issue angst, which is his character's primary conflict in this movie, isn't enough to really engage me in the same way that Timo's story, which is much more interesting because he's coming from this rough background. Coach Carter's trying to get him to elevate his expectations for himself. He vacillates as a character between determined to show you and show the world. Every time he comes back, it's essentially like a big nuts to you moment. You're not going to hold me down. And then all of a sudden he collapses again. <laughs> Screw you and screw this. I don't need this. No, you know what? I do need this. So nuts to you. I'm going to show you what's up. Now you know what? I don't actually need this. No, nuts to you. Well, we joked about how many times he actually quits on this team and then comes back. But then again, that's realistic because people aren't fixed after one conflict and then, you know what, coach? You were right all along, which is what we don't even see happen in Hoosiers. Well, the one kid gets brought back by his dad and is shamed and the other kid just magically showed up again off screen. But the fact that Timo is a working project, like when movies show alcoholics or drug addicts, that aren't fixed after one time going to anonymous, whichever the anonymous it needs to be. It takes time. I don't have experience with this, but I can just imagine you don't get fixed by seeing the light, whatever the light even is, one time. You can easily regress. Doesn't make you a bad person, doesn't make you weak, doesn't make you awful, especially when you're a kid in this environment and you've got somebody pushing back on you that you sometimes think it's too much. He's a father figure. The fathers aren't really mentioned that much in this movie, but he's obviously a father figure to all these kids, including his own actual kid on the team. And Timo, in some ways, is just being the rebellious kid, but also realizing, I need you, Dad. I'm back. And Ken seems to know when to pull in and when to push away. And thank God he didn't push away, because if this kid, Timo Cruz, and I guess he was, really liked this, maybe he didn't succeed in life the way that the movie portrays. But if he did, it was hard going. But that's more real than, oh, this guy and I clashed once, and then we fixed it once, and it's over with. It takes time. It takes effort, and it takes multiple shots at it it didn't feel cheesy to me it didn't feel overplayed it felt fairly realistic because he's a hard-headed kid and he doesn't necessarily buy in easily so you got to win him over bit by bit and it's going to be a fight i wouldn't have the patience for that i'm not a patient man but that's the whole point of this movie is this guy coach carter has the patience and the vision that very few other people in the community around him do and he has to win them over bit by bit and we even see that in the principle of the movie right she doesn't have that same kind of patience and she doesn't believe in them the same Not way. Not immediately. She's eventually won over to his thinking as her character sees what he's trying to accomplish. Does she support him in the vote? She and the chair are the two that vote in his favor and then the other five, I think, or whatever, four people vote against him. But yeah, initially she's all about him overstepping his bounds. She's singing the same song as everybody else. You're just a coach. Why do you care about their grades? but ultimately realizes your message is a sound one. And even if it's not strictly within the confines of what we hired you here to do, what you are doing is in the best interest of these boys and our community in general, and we should support you in that. It's another point of realism that not every adult around this man saw the value in what he was preaching. Even though you hear him say these things, it's common sense. And I can understand why you say this to a 16-year-old and they might not buy it because teenagers are emotional beings and they might not see everything perfectly. God knows I had no interest in listening to practical and reasonable advice when I was that age. 
And you kind of expect in these movies that if Coach Carter goes to the principal and says, I want what's best for these boys and they can get them into college and they get a 2.3 GPA in high school. Okay, that's an admirable pursuit. I support you in this. But that's not the way this movie plays it. I think it's to its benefit that she's skeptical of it. Like everybody else in this community, the teachers and the principal have all lived long enough here to have this ingrained expectation of mediocrity of their student base and their young men and women. Why should you be the one to change any of that? It's kind of the attitude. Yeah, their heart's been broken before by what's happened at the school probably plenty of times. That's not really said, but I think that's part of the subtext. We've seen this before. I believed in this guy 10 years ago and it didn't work out. And then this guy and this one and this girl and this guy and this girl... And that's it for me. None of that's said, but I think it's part of the subtext. How about the score factor, by the way? Ashanti, yummy. Her friend, they're too young for me to be analyzing this, way, I guess, but what do you want <laughs> no, me to no. do? Keep in mind, they're all in their 20s when they're filming this. They're supposed to be 16, but they're all in their 20s. You're in the clear. The one who plays her friend, though, she has two friends, but I guess it's the black friend. The other one's maybe supposed to be Hispanic, the black friend. Bigger, yum. She's a beautiful young woman, too. And it's probably the horniest movie we've seen in a while. There's a lot of implied action in this movie, certainly. You know what I think killed any potential score factor for me? It was that bloody pool scene. All I could think of was some <laughs> middle-aged director saying, yeah, yeah, zoom in on her butt. Come on, we got to get that 17-year-old butt shot. <laughs> it feels so exploitative. Well, I said horny not so much for me personally, but for the <laughs> characters in the film. You've just got a sweaty leer on your face the whole time you're watching the movie. Keep in mind, we're talking about a group of 17-year-old kids who are flying high socially in this movie, right? They're the number one ranked basketball, well, not them, but the undefeated team. St. Francis is number one. I guess they're ultimately ranked 19th or 16th or something when it's all said and done. They're the vast underdog, but they obviously impressed a lot of people considering they were terrible the year before. They were unknown in a lot of ways, really. They had been great before. Well, unknown, obviously they're not, but they weren't supposed to be a contender and they were. And St. Francis does beat them. And I think that's the right move. And then Ty Crane is the young or next LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan type player. But then he's enough of a classy guy to go up to Junior Battle and say, hey, Battle, you're pretty good. You're going to be all right. That's a nice moment there, too. That's true. And that reminds me of a few questions I wanted to ask you. Incidentally, just to wrap up that score factor thought, this was not a very scorable movie for me, even though I agree with you. There's a bunch of horny 17-year-old guys constantly trying to get laid in it, so I understand where you're coming from. More so than Remember the Titans was. Okay, fair. Or Air Bud. <laughs> I had three questions about this movie is this just me being a cranky old man as i often am at probably too young an age or is this just what the movie was trying to portray one of them is the trash talking element we see throughout the first half of the movie maybe there's that jawing between players there's the you can't guard me kind of stuff or stuff that's cruder than that what did you think about coach carter's recrimination of the team he makes them feel bad my shoelace is untied or let me tie that up oh look at that knot get out of here, boy. You can't tie a knot like that. It's not enough for you to win. You score a basket and you got to make everyone feel small around you. You got to shame your opponent. I agree with that. In the heat of the moment, we all say things sometimes we don't mean, but the constant after every basket in basketball, it's too much. I really liked that message. The team took it in. You don't see that out of them anymore. Well, they showed the point where I think it's Kenyon that does it for Junior. Junior nails a slam dunk and Kenyon does a fake or whatever the sound is for taking a picture. I would hate that if I was the coach too, but I'll tell you one thing. That was also pretty cool. And there's a part of me that does like that about basketball players, NBA. They have way more character than baseball players do. Yeah, we go about our business and we play this sport and we work hard and we want to beat our very valuable and talented opponents. 
they sound like they're robots when behind the scenes you know these people aren't so when people actually show some personality and character football players used to until they got penalized for even just spiking the football I wouldn't like it if I was the coach of a guy going with a little fake camera, but it was also pretty cool. And I don't disagree with you. I love personality in sport, too, and nobody hates those canned interview answers more than I do. Terrell Owens was always one of my favorite football players when I followed the NFL just because he had the most interesting touchdown celebrations before they banned that. Like pulling the cell phone out of the padding of the uprights. That was great. St. Francis was a team that Ty Crane played for in this movie, right? I couldn't find any information on this. I don't know what the real story was. A, whatever team the real-life Richmond team played in this tournament that knocked them out, did they have this kind of star prospect, do you think? Or did they create this Ty Crane strictly for dramatic effect? As you're asking me this question, I'm realizing I should have looked this up and I didn't do it, so I can't answer that question. I took a little bit of a look. I couldn't find anything. I was just curious. I can't remember any high school prospect around this era that was so well-known after LeBron that this would have been based on. I just thought it was interesting that the movie makers felt the need to have this sort of heralded all-star that the team would have to go after, that it wasn't enough that they were playing the number one seed. It had to also have the star player on it. And they almost beat them. That was going to be my last question. Do you think that was the reality of the play? Because we saw in, in other movies like Friday, was it Friday Night Lights? Where the result was correct. It was overly dramatically done. The reality was they lost a little bit more convincingly, but in the movie, it's a buzzer beater of some kind or a last second play yeah, on the right. field. Again, I kind of suspect that this is an overly dramatic film moment that Ty Crane hits the game-winning shot at the buzzer. That could have been faked. Well, I'll look it up. If I can find some information about it, I'll put it on the website and say how they actually lost. And I do like, too, it's not the finals. That's, what, the first, the first round. round. So they're bounced pretty early. The Richmond Oilers, our heroes, are out really early on. Right off the top, I said this movie feels like it was fairly true to at least the broad strokes of reality in the story it's conveying. And I like the fact that they didn't build it up to be more than it was as the team. It's enough that the coach was successful in getting them to play together as a group, having the success they had during the season, academically succeeding, and then challenging and going blow for blow with the number one ranked team in the state. If it's the first round or the last round, it doesn't matter for the drama of the movie, so I appreciate the fact that they played it that close to what actually happened. And at the end, he can say, Coach Carter can say, Rich what? Rich Moon. Rich what? Rich Moon. It's a running theme in this film, too. If that happened earlier in the movie, I totally missed it. Yeah, I think you hear the fans saying it in one of their games. Because when Coach Carter started doing it, I'm like, where did that come from? That was not the first time it was ever said in the whole film at the end. So I think maybe it was during the games and the players did it before, I believe. What would you rank this movie, by the way? I would say at least 7.5 out of 10. I was going to give it a little bit higher than that. I was going to go about an 8 out of 10. I thought it was really good, and I struggle. I mean, I never struggle to be a pedant about the details here and there. But I thought the pacing was good. You talked about the editing of the game footage in particular was very good. The performances across the board were good. Ask me how I would make this movie better. I would be nitpicking at best. And that's rare. For the movies we do, that's rare. I'd say like an eight or an eight and a half. You also said it was a long movie. I think it was like two hours, 15 minutes. It didn't feel that way to me. It felt like a 90 minute runtime. It really moved well. All right, thumbs up for Coach Carter. I'm glad we chose to watch another Netflix movie because they're free and easy to access when we can't be around each other. And we're going to do that again in two weeks, even though this is going to be a winter-esque sport and it's the middle of the summer. But in two weeks, we'll take advantage of Netflix yet again as we highlight the tremendous Margot Robbie and the figure skating flick that I don't believe you've seen, right? I, Tanya. I'm a huge Margot Robbie fan, as I know you are as well. I'll say this right up front. 
this is a moment in time I found very distasteful as a young kid. Oh, I did too. Distasteful people involved, but a really good movie. And it's also pretty funny. Alice and Janney especially. Okay. okay, we're on Twitter. He is at Scoring at Movies. I am at MovieFiend51. We're on Stitcher and Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Look under Top 900 Project for these episodes. 55 of them now with this one. Take her easy, sirs. I know that you will attend college.